I thank you the cross was enough. The Lord, every attempt that I've ever made to try to straighten out my crooked life, God, I'm reminded that the cross is enough. That Jesus, you are enough. God, whatever place we find ourselves today, Jesus, I just announce that you're more than enough. God, for the person who's coming to this room today, discouraged or looking for hope or trying to figure you out, God, I pray they would find you. And Lord, I pray that they would see you for who you are. You are a faithful God and you do not change. So Lord, we give you this time. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, the Son of God. Amen. Amen. Man, I'm so excited today. We kick off a two-week series uh, here at the end of May called Unchanged. And uh, we live in a world that changes. We have lives that change. In fact, for most of us, uh, we're sitting next to a person that we married that used to be one way, and over a certain amount of years of marriage, they have changed. So look at them real quick and say, my, you have changed, okay? Some of the women are looking at their husband going, oh yeah, you have changed a lot, okay? You're taking up a lot more mass than you were when we first got married, all right? But it's all good, right? All right, it's all good. So I just want to tell you, as we kick off this series for the next two weeks, I want to encourage you to be here because we're going to talk about the idea of unchanged. Now listen, we live in a changing world, but God is unchanged. We live in a world where everything changes all the time. We are constantly in a state of change, but God does not change. And so for the next two weeks, we want to talk about the faithfulness of God, who God is and how he remains even when everything else changes. Uh, the other night I was on, on Facebook and I was sitting there talking to my wife and I'm reading Facebook posts and I called out some Facebook post to her and she goes, Sean, that was like two days ago. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I had that moment where I was like, oh yeah, that was two days ago. Hey, did you know we landed on the moon? I thought that too. But uh, the truth is this, as you look through social media, it changes all the time. I mean, you pull down the refresh button and you see the person who literally like 20 seconds ago just took a selfie. And they're like, hey, I just took a selfie of myself so 20 seconds ago. And we hear that term all the time. I heard someone say, that's like two days ago or 12 days ago or, you know, that's so 30 seconds ago. And that's the world that we live in. Everything is constantly changing. But God doesn't change. Now, here's what we know about change. Change is really just a natural progression of life. In fact, if you ask any baby, babies love change, all right? Because after they've done what they do to their diapers, they invite change. But somehow when we get older in our lives, it becomes more and more hard for us to change. Why is that? Why is it that we live in a world that changes, but we struggle to change? I thought about this. You know, over the years, I've heard lots of people come to me with fears. Some people say, Sean, I'm, I'm afraid of the dark. <laughs> Those people are just weird. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of dying. But I tell you, the greatest fear that I've seen people struggle with in 25 years is the fear of change. They don't want things to become different in their life. I think it would be really funny to like, like if y'all paid me to come over to your house, let me redecorate your house, ladies, for one week. I will show you what change can do. Yeah, you'll be looking at me going, oh my gosh, you know, because truth is, I don't know nothing about that change, but I can tell you this, people fear change. So this week as I was studying, I thought about this question, why do I fear change when I know God doesn't change? Why do I fear change so much when I know God doesn't change? Some of you are calculating that in your head right now. In other words, 
if I know God remains the same, why do I worry so much? It's not like he's up there going, oh yeah, let me change. Oh yeah, let me change. Oh yeah, that, oh yeah, let me change with that. God doesn't do that. And yet we act sometimes like he's up there going, what just happened? The truth is God is faithful. He doesn't change. In fact, I want to tell you this today. God is not moved by the circumstances of our life. God never has an uh uh-oh moment. That moment where he goes, "Uh uh-oh, did that just happen? I mean, God's like so in charge. He's so sovereign. He's so providentially sovereign and sovereignly providential. He's got what? The whole world in his hands. He's got the whole thing. But yet we look at our lives and we fear change, even though God doesn't change and nothing God does is random. I heard this statement years ago. Many of you have heard it. If you haven't, this is a good one for you to preach to yourself daily. God is never late and God is never early. He is always on time. He is always on time. He controls time. He made up time. He can end time whenever he wants. That's just who God is. He is faithful. And in the midst of a changing world, in the midst of our changing circumstances, God doesn't change. So the other day I was looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, and I was perplexed by this idea. Look what it says in verse 11. It says, here's a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. And if we endure, or if we endure, we also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. But look at verse 13. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Whoa! Did God's word just say that even when I'm faithless, that God is still faithful? That even when I don't get it all right, even when I attempt and I'm, I'm just kind of bent to do the wrong thing, that God has a way of saying, hey, that's just who I am. I'm faithful. You know, it's kind of like going into Walmart. How many of you have been into Walmart and had a bad shopping cart experience? Yeah, yeah. I go into Walmart and I get one of those carts and I'm going down and I've got the, I've got the wheel from Hades on the front that wants to go its own direction, and I'm pushing it the right way, and then suddenly I'm just on aisle nine. And I'm like, how did, I, how did that happen? And I don't know about you, but even when I can't get that cart right, somehow I know that it was meant to go in this direction. Listen, God is faithful. The Bible says even when we are faithless, even when we are bent, even when we go the wrong direction doesn't change who he is in fact he says he says he will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself that's who god is you see many times we don't struggle with god's faithfulness we struggle more with our own unfaithfulness i really do think that's why people struggle with the faithfulness of god because most people in this room if i ask you does god change you'd say nope do you change yep Is God faithful? Yeah. Are you unfaithful? Yeah, all the time. And so somehow what we do is we try to tie God's faithfulness to our unfaithfulness and try to make God like us. And that's not who God is. God is a faithful God. We attempt to tie the two together, and when we do, we misjudge who God is. But I want you to hear this statement. The way God has worked in the past is a great predictor of how he will work in the future. When you look at who God is, and you know that God is faithful, that he doesn't change, that that he holds everything together, you can look and say, hey, God did this in the past. 
it's probably a really good predictor of how he will work in the future. Why? Because God is a God of remembrance. He's constantly telling us in the Bible, I want you to remember what I did. In fact, God calls us to remember what he has done then so we can trust him in the now. Some of you today, you're at that place in your life where you're having a hard time trusting God. Let me just tell you, I'm a parent of a graduating high school senior. I'm having a difficult time trusting God for all things. Amen? Can I get an amen in this room? Thank you. I see that testimony, sir. And I want you to know, God is not changed by what's changing me. But here's what I do know. I can look at God and I can see how he worked then so that I can trust him in the now. That's who God is. So I want to give you a story today of an individual in the Bible who experienced God's faithfulness even when he himself had thrown himself out of the game of life. Now, I don't know about you, just like that swerving cart, there's things I do in my life and there's times in my life I feel like I have so messed it up and so done the stupidest thing that there's no way that God can get me back in the game. But I want you to know, we serve a God who is so faithful, he is able to get us back in the game, even we don't deserve to be back in the game. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to talk about a man named Elijah. Many of you know the story of Elijah. In chapter 17 of Elijah, uh, he was a prophet. So God would tell him, hey, I want you to go talk to my people, tell them this is what I'm saying. And a lot of times he would go out and he would say it, and a lot of times the people wouldn't do a thing he said. Uh, do we have any school teachers in the room today? Yeah, you feel like that at this time in your life right now. Everything you say in your classroom, nobody listens to. And that's exactly what Elijah was like. He's out here preaching what God wants him to do. And, uh, and sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. But in chapter 17, the Bible says he got in a place in his life where he was really lacking. And he needed food. And the Bible says that God brought ravens to come feed him. That God was faithful. And then we look over at 1 Kings 18, and we know the story there. It's the story about the prophets of Baal. And the Bible tells us that Elijah took on these 450 prophets of Baal and pretty much said, okay, Baal is not God. God is God. And we know what happens, right? He called down fire from heaven. It was like a false prophet smacked down better than a WCW night. And it was awesome. And God showed up. And uh, man, the coolest thing about that moment was when Elijah stood on the name of God and he said, God, I believe you're going to do this because I'm standing for your name. And God showed up and did an amazing, amazing thing in his life. But then we get to chapter 19. And I want you to know, I've had some chapter 19s in my life. I've had moments where I rode at the top of the mountain just full on for God, everything was awesome, everything was great, and then suddenly I'm like, what just happened? And it was in those moments that I doubted the faithfulness of God. Chapter 19 of 1 Kings, look what it says in verses 1 and 2. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. What did he do? He smacked down 450 prophets of Baal, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of those. Here's what she was saying. This is the, uh, the Smithsonian translation. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. That's how she said it too. I'm going to kill you, Elijah. And in that moment, 
Here's what I learned. When you attempt something great for God, not everyone will applaud you. I mean, he was on the mountain, right? I mean, he, he was like 2-0, and oh, like ravens fed him, killed all the prophets, couldn't lose, everything going great. And suddenly this woman says, I'm going to kill you. When we attempt and when I attempt something great for God, not everyone will applaud. In fact, I want you to hear this. The enemy will often send you a message. And he will often use other people to deliver it. Ouch. That's right. That's what the Bible says. She had a word for Elijah. Elijah, I want to share with you my heart. Elijah, you know what people are saying? I want you to know what people are saying, Elijah. It's almost like she said, Elijah, can, can you give me just a few moments? I want, to, I want to play devil's advocate with you on what you just did. Devil's advocate? I don't know about you. The devil's not my advocate. Jesus is my advocate. The devil is not my advocate. I don't need anything from the devil. He's already done enough to steal, kill, and destroy me. Amen? But Elijah heard this message from this woman, and it affected his life. You see, people sometimes will come to you and say, hey, I just want to give you a word. I just want to share with you my heart. I just want to talk about, you know, the, what's going on here or whatever. And you need to be very careful. Why? Because this week I was reading in my Bible and in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I don't know about you. I don't always need someone to come share their aorta with me or their left ventricle. I don't always need to know what someone's heart is. I need to know what God says, not what man says, amen? Because sometimes man will come, and he means well, but if you're not careful, sometimes what comes out of your heart, the Bible says it's wicked, and you can't even understand it. I don't know about you, my heart is wicked, and I can't always understand it. I'm like that bad Walmart cart, amen? I go down the wrong aisle every time. So in that moment, we got to be very careful. So Elijah hears from the messenger and the messenger says, hey, as far as I'm concerned, by the end of the day, Elijah, you are dead. And in verse 3, listen to what it says. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, and he sat under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Wait a minute. The Elijah that God sustained and fed. The Elijah that took on the 450 prophets of Baal. Fire from heaven. Just told God, God, here I am. I'm under this broom tree and I want you to kill me. You ever been there? Man, I have. I've been there. I've heard people say to me all the time, Sean, you're this, you're that, you're this. Listen. It doesn't matter. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. Here's what happens. When we fear man more than we fear God, we are quick to lose sight of his faithfulness. And that's exactly what happened to Elijah. He took his eyes off God and he put his eyes on Jezebel and her words and his messenger and her sharing her heart and, and everything else. And suddenly he began to question God's faithfulness. See, here was Elijah's struggle. At this point in Elijah's life, people were big and God was small. And that's a real problem for you and I. We struggle to understand the faithfulness of God when we think or we allow people in our lives to be bigger than who God is. 
And every person in this room, whether you want to admit it or not, you struggle with the fear of man. Some of you have watched people post things online and you say, where did that come from? Fear of man. They want someone to notice them. They want someone to approve of them. They want someone to like them. (laughs) Hey, will you like my post? Some people have apps to tell how many likes they got from a certain individual. On a, I mean, holy smokes. So here's Elijah, and God has done amazing things in his life, but suddenly people became bigger than God. And when that happens, we miss, and we misunderstand the faithfulness of God. And here's the cool thing. God didn't leave him there. In fact, God reminded him of his faithfulness, and he actually got him back in the game. If you have a pen, I want you to write down three things today, because here's what I want us to understand about the faithfulness of God. God is so faithful, even when you and I have blown it, even when we have stepped ourselves out of the game, God has a way. He's the God who gets us back in the game. So if you have a pen, write this down. Three things. Three things God wants to do to remind us of his faithfulness. Number one, we need to get up and eat. We need to get up and eat. In 1 Kings 19, verse 5, it says, Then he lay under the bush and he fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And then he looked around there by his head and there was some bread baked over coals and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and then he lay down again. Why? Because he was so distraught. He was so tired. Verse 7, Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. I asked myself this week, why do you think Elijah went to Horeb? Because he was having a horrible day. (laughs) Just a thought, okay. So he reached Mount Horeb, and look at verse 9. Then he went into a cave, and he spent the night. You see, if we're going to remember the faithfulness of God and we're going to let God get us back in the game, we've got to get up and eat. And here's what we've got to do. We've got to get up and we've got to start eating on the promises of God and quit listening to the words of man. Listen to this. God is faithful to feed us even when we are down. Now get the picture. He's under the broom bush. He's calling for God to kill him. God, kill me. Because if you don't, she's going to kill me. God, kill me. And God could have looked at him and said, get up, you worm, but he didn't. He came to him and he fed him to strengthen him. You see, God is faithful to feed us when we are down, even when we are down. And I want you to understand this. In the the story here, it says the angel made him a cake and fed him a cake. You know what the cake is for us? The cake for us are the promises of God. The Bible says that he fed him a cake and he got stronger. He fed him some more cake and he got stronger. He fed him, I'm seeing a pattern here. Let's all go eat cake today, amen? And uh, he's, he's eating cake. But the cake for us are the promises of God. Listen, this book is full of promises that if you and I start to devour them daily, we will start seeing a truer picture of the promises of God in our life every single day. Every single day. But here's what I also know. You and I need to feed on the faithfulness of God to prevent our courage or your courage from being malnourished. Some of you have courage that is very malnourished. You used to be strong. You used to stand for truth. 
You used to stand up and, and, and be bold about who God's called you to be, but suddenly you took your eyes off of God's faithfulness and you put your eyes on man or you've heard too many words of men, and then all of a sudden you're like, man, what, what happened to me? It's like getting sucker punched at a fight. And it's because you've starved and malnourished your courage, and the promises of God are the one thing that you and I need to remind us of God's faithfulness and to restore our courage. That's exactly where Elijah found himself. He was discouraged. And God's promises, they have that way of feeding our soul. And everyone here needs soul care. You see, his promises are unchanged. Even though we change, they're unchanged. But God didn't leave him there. First of all, he said, hey, I want you to, I want you to go and eat. But number two... We need to understand part of what God does to put us back in the game is he says, I want you to go out and stand. Look what the Bible says in verse 10. It says, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I just, as I read that, I thought, okay, God, obviously you knew what Elijah was doing there. Okay, like he's depressed, he's manic, he's taking a few pills. I don't know, something's going on here, God. Why are you asking Elijah this question? Here's the thing. God knew exactly where Elijah was. He wanted to make sure Elijah knew where Elijah was. Amen? He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been here very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Let me ask you this question today. Why are you here? You say, well, I'm a church, man. I promised my wife I would do this before I cut the grass. No, no, let me ask it a different way. Why are you here today? The place where you find yourself in your life, what are you doing here? Where are you? If I could look into your inner soul... I would probably see some of the same things that Elijah saw. He had taken his eyes off God. And he needed to be reminded of God's faithfulness. It's kind of like this. When I was in college, I'm not, I know many of you did this too. Uh, I was young and in love. I decided that I was living on the northwest side of Oklahoma City in an area called Edmond, going to school. And my, my hope-to-be, soon-to-be bride was living in Norman about an hour and 20 minutes down the road. And uh, all that stood between us was love and I-35. And uh, I got on I-35 one night. It was a Thursday night. I drove down, spent like three or four hours hanging out with Tracy and thought, man, this is awesome. Suddenly I look up at my watch and I go, oh, it's 3 a.m. And I'm in college, right? That's what college students do. They drive around at 3 a.m. with nothing to do. And I get in my car and I drive home from Norman back to where I was going to school. And I woke up the next morning and could not remember how I got home. You ever done that? It's not even a senior moment. I was like 19, right? <laughs> Can't blame it on senior moments. I was having a junior moment. I don't know. But in that moment, I didn't know how I got home. And the same is true in our lives. We're going to come to places where we're going to be so discouraged and we're going to miss out on the faithfulness of God so much that we're going to not know how we got there. I don't really think Elijah knew how he got there. But look at verse 11. Then the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. 
but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Basically, there was a complete earth, wind, and fire concert, and nothing happened. Okay? Like, they're standing around. He's, he's standing around going, okay, God's going to show up. I know he's going to do something awesome. He killed the prophets of Baal. He sent these birds to feed me. And he's waiting on the earthquake. He's waiting on the fire. He's waiting on the wind. And God's not there. So at this point, he's probably like, God, if you don't do something amazing, I'm done. Look what it says. Verse 12, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Why did God speak that way? God spoke that way. Because when you're near somebody, You have missed the faithfulness of God because you're waiting for God to bring fire. You're waiting for God to bring wind. You're waiting for God to shake the planet. You see, here's what I know. You only whisper when you're near somebody. If I brought you on stage today and you stood right next to me, and I began screaming in your ear, you would punch me in the throat. But if you stood right next to me because of proximity and because of closeness, we would talk like this. Hey, man, only about 100 days till college football starts. Yes, you are a prophet. <laughs> you whisper... Because you're near somebody. God whispered in that moment because he was near Elijah. God's promises cause us to get up and eat. God's presence calls us to go out and stand. He is near and he is whispering and he is saying, I've not left you. Listen to this. The devil shouts lies and he loves to do that. But God whispers because he is close. You serve a God that doesn't change. You see, when you feel like you're in the dark, God has a way of bringing perspective because he sees your tomorrow. In fact, I want to give you something that will blow up your thought process. He is already in your tomorrow. Whoa. God knows what's coming at me on Monday. He sure does. And he sees the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that. So when God comes close to us and he begins to whisper his promises and his faithfulness, we need to listen. We need to listen. He's already there. The place was Mount Horeb. The Bible says God took him there. He stood at the mouth of the cave and he spoke to him in a gentle whisper. You say, why is that important? Mount Horeb was the exact place where God spoke to Moses in a burning bush. 
You see, God does nothing out of randomness in your life and mine. I couldn't help, but God was up there going, okay, how do I want to do this? Last time I was here with Moses, I spoke through a bush. Mm, earthquake, mm, fire, mm, wind, no. I got one that'll blow his mind, a whisper. God is faithful. He's calling you and I to go out and stand. Number three, we got to get back to work. If we're going to get back in the game and see God's faithfulness, we got to get back to work. Look at verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came, Elijah, and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Why do you think God said, go back the way you came? Now, some of you women are going, because he was a man, and he had gotten lost, and they were on vacation, and he wasn't going to stop at the gas station to ask for directions. And he wasn't going to listen to the lady on the dashboard going, recalculating, recalculating. Okay, I get all that. Here's why God told him to go back the way you came. Because sometimes to go forward in your life, you have to remember where you came. That's how God is. He wants us to remember his faithfulness. Not our faithfulness, because we're unfaithful, but his faithfulness. Sometimes to go forward, you have to remember. You have to go back and, oh, yeah, God got me here. Okay, yeah, and God got me here. Yeah, okay, and God got me here. And here's the other thing I know. Sometimes to move forward, we need to get closer. So God told him, he said, I want you to go back the way you came. And I want you to get closer to me. You see, God is calling you to come closer to himself. The faithfulness of God has nothing to do with me. It has to do with him. So I want to ask you the question I asked you a few moments ago. What are you doing here today? What are you doing here? The place you find yourself at in your life, it may be a season, it may be a moment, it may be a blockade. You're at a place where you're like, I have no purpose, I'm not going anywhere in my life. I want to sit under the tree and I want God to kill me. Listen, God knows. He's not afraid of that. God is faithful even when you and I are faithless, amen? And he doesn't change. But I, want, I do want to ask you this question today. What are you doing here today? Because God wants to draw you closer to himself and he wants to speak. He wants to whisper. He wants to whisper in your ear something like this. I haven't left you. I'm still right here. I know everyone's mad, but I'm not. Hey, I'm still the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I'm still the God of South Grass. We need to get up and eat on his promises. We need to go and stand in his presence. And we need to get back to work. God wants us to remember what he's done. 
14 years ago, 14 people believed that God wanted to plant a church in South Atlanta to reach people one relationship at a time. He's a faithful God. Even when I'm faithless, even when you're faithless, listen, I don't care what people say. God is not changed. He is unchanged. And he stands unchallenged. And he is going to be the same yesterday, today, and forever because that's who he is. He is a faithful, faithful God. Let's pray together. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. There are some of you in this room today and this whole idea that God is near is blowing your mind. And here's why. Because you think that it's about trying to do the right things and put the right things in the right order. And that's not what it's about. Here's the truth. God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for your sin and for mine so that we could have a relationship with him. And it's not only in trusting in him, not ourselves, that we find not only salvation, but we find a relationship that's like no other. And if you're here today and you've never, ever placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, I want to invite you to do that right now. All over this room, if you say, Sean, I have never, ever completely placed all my faith, all my trust in him, but today I want to. Would you pray with me right now? Just silently, just between you and God. Just say something like this. Say, God, thank you for bringing me here today. Thank you for loving me and for sending Jesus to die for me on the cross. Lord, today I place all my faith and all my trust and all my dependence on you. Would you come into my life, forgive my sin, and be my Lord and my Savior? I completely give you my life, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. You see, today, if you prayed that prayer with me and you meant it, the Bible says God heard you. And that right now you have something that's just so amazing that just happened in your life. The Bible says you became a new creature in Christ Jesus. That the old has passed away and all things have just become new in your life. And I want to tell you, that is the most incredible decision you'll ever make. And it's the most life-changing decision you'll ever make. And I want to say to you, welcome to the family of God. We want to help you walk in that decision, grow in that decision. But listen, there's another group of you here today. And you're sitting under the broom bush of life. And you're praying God will kill you. And here's what I know. God doesn't want to kill you. God wants to heal you. He wants to set you free. And God is a faithful enough God that he cares for you even when you're down. He doesn't shun you. He doesn't kick you out of the way and say, man, if you were a stronger, you know, this or that, then, you know, you would be worth my kingdom. He doesn't say that. He says, you're mine. I come to you and I'm going to feed you on my promises and I'm going to remind you of my faithfulness. And then I love that idea that God whispers to us because he's near. He's near you. And I want to ask you today, get your eyes off men. Get your eyes off man. Put your eyes on the faithfulness of God. And watch how differently you approach your life. Lord, I thank you today for your word. It is so true. God, I thank you that your faithfulness 
is forever. Lord, Psalms 119, verse 30 or verse 90 says, Your faithfulness continues through all generations. Lord, your faithfulness continues through all generations. Lord, there's not one generation that you are not faithful in and faithful to. You will be who you will be. You are God. You are faithful. And Lord, today I pray for the person who for the very first time gave you their life. I pray you'd give them the courage to tell somebody, hey, listen, I made this decision. Christ has changed my life. And Lord, for the person here today who's discouraged, God, I thank you that when we put our eyes on you and we see your faithfulness, it changes our whole outlook. It's like putting on a pair of contact lenses. It's like putting on a pair of glasses. We can see again. And so God, remind us of your promises. Remind us of your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.